it's work to be happy. You have to really invest. And it's blood, sweat, and tears when you do that. When you play a video game, it's just the video game and you have no responsibility. You can turn it on and off. I think there was a lot of um, people wearing rose-colored glasses to what was going on in our country and what's going on in the world in general. Everyone identified me with white because my mother was white, right? And we must have money. We must be, you know, the rich white people. And so there was a lot of issue with the black community and myself because they were thinking that I was better than them. That. that was hard. And as I got older, like 18 on up, it was getting hard. It was getting way too hard. And then it was like being black had to be a thing. Like during the Spike Lee thing, like you had to really be black. You had to really have your black card, you know, and that kind of thing. And it was, it was hard for me to play that role. Um, but guess what? I'm not white. And that's not even an option. I cannot play that role. There's a lot of reasoning things away and pointing fingers and this and this. But really, this is where the finger goes, right here. Who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose in life? And to achieve those concepts, you got to connect. This week on American Real, we take you back to London for our filming at the breathtaking St. Pancras Renaissance Hotel, where I meet with American expat Lisa May, who is also the founder and host of Expat Real, and is part of the London Real family, where she acts as instructor, team leader, and community manager at the London Real Academy. Lisa and I both grew up in New York in the same era, and therefore had much in common. Our conversation touches on her expat lifestyle how Lisa teaches those who are interested in the same, as well as what ultimately gave her the courage to make this drastic lifestyle change that she so enjoys. We also discuss her fascinating upbringing as a black woman growing up in the 1980s, her time spent at Washington Park in New York City, and her motto at the time, which was, you need to leave your street corner. Today, in many ways, Lisa still lives by those same words as she talks about the importance to explore, travel, and need to get out of your comfort zone. Halfway through the episode, Lisa, for the first time ever, reveals the identity of her father and how her parents met in the late 1960s. Then, at the end of the filming, we leave you with an amazing discovery, which you will not 
want to miss. Now, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe to the American Real YouTube channel to receive all the latest updates. I'd like to thank our partners and sponsors, including Happy Socks, turning an everyday essential into a colorful design item, and Alatura Naturals, the best all-natural skincare products available. Visit alaturanaturals.com to make a purchase, and be sure to use the coupon code AMERICAN at checkout for a very special 20% discount. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Miss Lisa May. Welcome to American Real. This is Roger Brooks, broadcasting from London, England, uh, where today my very special guest is Lisa May, who travels the world researching the best places for those wishing to live abroad. She left the U.S. in 2014 as a virtual secretary working from the beaches of Belize. Her 14-country nomad experience upgraded her lifestyle in home, health, and social culture, which compelled her to create Expat Real. She's helped others find the courage to break away from hectic lifestyles and plan a new life abroad, which nourishes the mind, body, and spirit. Her new book, Lisa's Visas, A U.S. Guide to Traveling Abroad, is getting attention from many. Lisa May, welcome to American Real. Thank you for having me. What an awesome introduction. <laughs> this is so awesome. Yeah. You are my first interview in London. I have three. And um, I'm very proud. I know we, we chatted about this uh, going back probably over a month ago um, when I saw how good you were at being an instructor within the class. Everyone within your group was excelling, and I said, who is this Lisa May? I need to meet her. Wow. <laughs> so I appreciate you being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, London is, is really fast. It's, it's fast like New York. Yes. Um, and it hits you in the face right away. <laughs> so we've been rushing around and I'm so glad to have a chance to get down and, and sit with you because as you may have thought that I was really excelling, everyone in that class, you were actually really excelling in that class. So I was you. pretty proud of you and what you were doing over in other teams. And I was a little jealous of, uh, <laughs> of your team leader. Name will not be mentioned. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, there's so much I, I want to cover. I know we're, we're actually running out of time and daylight because we both are really busy and have busy schedules uh, th this weekend. But let's start out with the obvious. Um, tell us about your new lifestyle. Uh, what gave you the idea? And um, what gave you the personal strength to actually do this? Um, I don't know. It's a tough, the personal strength, I think, is a tough one because you usually find your personal strength when you think you have nothing or no one. And so that's kind of where I was at. Um, mindset, family, friends, that kind of thing. Um, I think you find that sometimes you, you might get caught in kind of a rut. You do have a life, you do have friends, you do have family, but there is no connection to them um, in some way. And I think with that, I started to not feel a connection just with the environment, with the earth that I live on. It was just me individually kind of floating out there in some way, shape, or form. And I needed more. I needed more stability, but stability in who I was, 
Um, I don't think that ever got out there. I raised three kids already. They're off on their own, doing their own thing. And I think it helps a bit to bring the picture of who am I to a mom's you know, face, to say, wait a minute, so they're gone now, and now I have nothing to do and no life, that kind of a thing. There's nothing going on. Um, when in actuality, it's all going on right here, baby. Right. And it was time for me to figure out how to get in there. And I think a lot of people feel exactly the way you just described it. Um, we get so caught up in our life and the fast pace, and especially in America, I know, yeah. you, know you, you were born, raised, you lived there yeah. majority of your life until, until you left. So um, I talk to people on a regular basis who feel the same way. And it, but it seems like there's some type of a movement worldwide. And, and I, I wanted to ask you your opinion on that, if, if, if you're feeling that too. But I also think it takes people like you to, to, to take a leadership role in, in, in taking that initial risk so others can see, observe, learn um, through your classes, your consulting, everything, wonder, your book. Um, but but do, do, you, do you sense that there's more awareness Yes, absolutely. Ahead. Especially now, I, you know, I give credit where credit is due. Our newest president really opened everyone's eyes to what's really going on. I think there was a lot of um, people wearing rose-colored glasses to what was going on in our country and what's going on in the world in general. Um, you know, we can play video games now. Like, there are so many things that we can distract ourselves with mm -hmm. from what's going on in life, from ourselves, from issues with ourselves, getting to know ourselves, getting to know other people, being connected. Because being connected, you know, it's kind of work. It's not an it escape, is. it's work. It's work to be happy. You have to really invest. And it's blood, sweat, and tears when you do that. When you play a video game, it's just the video game and you have no responsibility. You can turn it on and off whenever you want. Right. So I think a lot of people were doing this escapism. They were really getting into escapism and now they can't. It is completely in your face. It's being tweeted all day, every day. Yes. <laughs> yes. From the White House, from the news, yes. from the, you know, and it's constantly in our face. And I think that's what really drove people to go, what do I want? Mm -hmm. What do I want in my life? Um, who is leading my life? And so all these thoughts that they had, like when I used to work in an office, people used to always have like posters up with palm trees and beaches and their desktop would have like a beach on it, Barbados. And one of these days, that's gonna be my vacation, girl. That's gonna, and I'm like, when? And it's like, well, as long as I'm here for three months first, then I can start earning my point two five vacation day every three months and then I said you've got to be kidding me yeah. I never subscribe to that I, I, I just who are these people that tell me yeah. when I can have vacation yeah so. no and again I, I believe the majority of people are in that boat right and and it and it takes the the, the courage the initiative that that you've done and I want to learn about more about that <laughs> and how you did that so uh, but before we go there can can you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing in the US where you grew up yeah what it was like and how you became the wonderful person you are I don't know if I can answer the last question <laughs> 
I'm not sure. I'm still, I'm still learning about that person. But I, I basically spent the majority of my time growing up within the New York metropolitan area. We moved around a lot, but it was like New Jersey. I graduated Montclair High School. Um, I cut school almost every day. Um, I went to the High School of Performing Arts in Montclair, New Jersey. So the way it was set up is that we basically went to school from like 7 o'clock in the morning to about 8 o'clock at night. So I would like go to my homeroom class, which is what counted mm -hmm. as going to school. And then I would get on the bus to New York and go to Washington Square Park, watch the con artists and the performers. Wow. Um, and then I went back to school in time for rehearsal because if I missed rehearsal, I was fucking screwed. Mm -hmm. Like there was no way out of it. Right. But the other teachers were like, she didn't come, she didn't come. I don't, I don't know how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a, just FYI for school systems and, and education around the world. That was the number 10 school in our country. Wow. Just oh, FYI yeah. about education yeah. <laughs> and how it's better in Europe and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I studied off the street, really. Mm -hmm. And ironically, not in a bad way. Like, 42nd Street is nothing, was nothing like it is now. Mm -hmm. um, it was legitimately a hot spot um, to take runaways, to pick up runaways a few blocks away. They picked them up at the bus station that I used to come in at every day as a freshman mm -hmm. or a sophomore in high school. And, um, and they would pimp them out. Oh, okay, that's what I was gonna say. What did you mean by take them? I, I, I didn't know. They what... took them and they put them right on the street, mm -hmm. on 40, 42nd Street, like uh, between Broadway, between the theaters and Bryant Park. Hmm. Those are places that people would know. And, and Bryant Park was like an entire drug area hmm. where like people were homeless and took drugs like all day. Washington Square Park was away from that. It was all jazz, it was all music, it was all arts. It was all uh, creation. Everything was about creating your identity, but to present it. Mm -hmm. And so I started learning how to present all these identities. Robin Williams is always down there doing mm -hmm. mime and stuff like that. Um, and so somehow that was my only concern to get to the village, to get to, which is where I was born to begin with. I used to live there. Okay. And so when we moved to Jersey, it was like we were moving farther and farther away from like, my artistic upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, my parents, my mother was a trained ballerina, oh. and my father is a world-renowned jazz musician. No kidding. I'm not. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't usually mention that. Well, that's great. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I think, I think this is where I came from, mm -hmm. and there are times where you lose yourself. You lose, I lost that girl mm -hmm. somewhere, mm -hmm. um, and I don't even know if I'm trying to find her again but I'm trying to find that, that versatility, that I don't care, that this education isn't doing it for me, but this is, this is where it's happening, this is where it works, and to feel um, comfortable to do it, mm -hmm. to just go ahead and do it and test it out on the people. I mean, literally, Washington Square Park was the podcasting of 1985. Um, all comedians went out there to do their stuff. That's where all the, the American Eddie Izzards were. Um, and they did quite well. They did quite well. That's so interesting. And, and you, you, you know, we, I think we graduated the same year, 1987. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we grew up the exact same time. Um, it was a special time. I mean, uh, when I look back and, and, and think about um, 
you know, the school that I went to and, and the diversity in, in upstate New York. Yeah. And, and it was, life was just simpler then, you know. And um, uh, today, you know, my kids are 15 and 11, and there's different struggles. You know, there's different concerns. Yeah. There's different worries. Uh, but for you to be able to experience what you did in New York City at that time, we don't have that anymore. You know, you, you were very fortunate, I, I feel, to, to be able to experience all that. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I miss it all the time, yeah. all the time. It was, um, and the idea that I was safe, like I was completely safe. I was somehow among my people. I don't, I'm not sure why. I mean, my father has played all those places. My uncle has played all those places, those jazz places. Um, I didn't know the other jazz musicians, they did. But for some reason, I was right at home. And that was just that. And I just knew how to like run that park. I knew what bathrooms to go to in the city. I can still tell you now where to go to the bathroom That's in great. all of New York City. <laughs> like, I can tell you where to go. You um, find the spots. And I just, my mom told me stuff. She told me to be aware of some things and stuff. She didn't know I was cutting class. But things like she put me on the train to go meet my grandma at Gimbel's and you would know what Gimbel's was. But sure. a lot of people, if you watch uh, Miracle on 34th Street, That's right. uh, Mr. Macy, they talk about Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimbel. It's two department stores. And right. Gimbel's had closed down. But my grandma used to work at Gimbel's with um, retired Rockettes who were all waitresses at just like the little cafe that you go to when you're done shopping or whatever. It really was a magical time. Yes. It really was. Um, and there was also, um, like, going into the 90s, there was this black renaissance with Spike Lee, um, a little bit prior to Spike Lee, but we had Spike Lee, we had Mike Tyson, yeah. um, and, and, like, this, these black movie stars were on the rise. Will Smith. Will Smith. Yes. Will Smith. And all these guys hung around the village. Yeah. All of them. LL Cool J. All of them. Um, what's her name? Um, Queen Latifah. Like, because they were from Brooklyn or they were from sure. the Bronx, I lived down the street from Spike Lee's sister, who lived a little, we lived like the neighborhood just under Spike. Mm -hmm. But what Spike did is he didn't move. He just put money into the neighborhood and made it nicer, wow. you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's weird to see New York now yeah. because there is no distinction of anything that happens. And not to, I'm not... But everything is a hipster revolution now. Mm, sure, sure. <laughs> Almost no matter where you go. And I don't, you know, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. Well, I just landed in London this morning, so I haven't had too much time to explore. But I did take about a 20-minute walk earlier. And wow, what a vibe it is here. Yes. I mean, I feel New York here, but I yes. feel Europe, obviously. And it has this really great feel. Do you, do you feel the same? I, I have a love-hate relationship with London <laughs> for various reasons. But I will say this, um, you know, there are all these romances we have about London. And so some of those romances have come true for me. Like the idea, every once in a while I stand next to a telephone booth, the English telephone yeah. booth, and I'm like, oh my God, right. I'm here, I'm here. Right. Okay. Right. Pinch yourself. <laughs> Pinch myself. Right. But actually today I was just in Greenwich hmm. um, at the Cuddy Sark. I didn't know Cuddy Sark was a boat. I thought it was just a drink. And I walked so cool. by and I was like, oh my God. That's where it comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. There is the uh, naval, the old naval college. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't even look it up yet. I'm assuming it's naval, but it's the music department. 
so it brought back a lot of memories. Wow. My father was in the military and he was in the band. Wow. And so he went to West Point and now he lectures at West Point. And so that's like a thing. Um, and then for me, it just brings back memories of like, oh my God, school. Because mm -hmm. I'm listening to the jazz band and I wasn't sure if it was like the jazz band. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh no, they're in school because I, right. I can hear sure. everything. Um, and then there was someone singing opera and I used to sing opera. Mm -hmm. And so there was all of this. I started out in musicals. My best friends were in jazz bands. And then there's this opera and it was all happening at once. I was going to go home and take a nap. And then, of course, the sun came out for an hour. I said, let me stay. <laughs> so did you, did you plan to go there today, or did you just did stumble not. upon it? I just stumbled upon it. I was supposed to go home. So let me ask you. Yes, me. Is that a coincidence that that happened today? Is that a coincidence? I, you know what? Do I you believe in coincidence? I was going to say I don't believe in it. I don't either. I, I say that. I go, oh, what a coincidence. You know, every so often. I don't think I say it that often now. Mm -hmm. Because I make connections, and I go, there's a reason for this. You were meant to be there today. You were meant to... Yes hear that you're meant to think of your dad military music yourself opera yeah i mean that's all it brings us back to who we are so um I, I, there's so much to cover so i, I just know. want to move on here if we can um, and we'll do this again hopefully in, say, in the future <laughs> yes so um uh, but tell us how how did this all begin when when was when was that aha moment for you to say i am doing this i'm I'm going to do it. It was at a low point where I, I was looking for a new apartment and I know I didn't want to have the same roommate that I had had. I was like, let's, let's not renew this lease. I had some friends that were living in this place, but I mean, they were, it was like seven friends and like, it was really a two bedroom townhouse, like small townhouse. Um, but they turned this really big closet into a bedroom. It was mm. like 300 square feet, 200 square And back then, 300 square feet was not considered a room. Um, no, was or, no, I think it was more like 100, mm -hmm. 150. Um, mm. But now they're like studios now. Sure. It's insane. Um, and then someone had turned the dining room into a bedroom. And then, so all everyone had for community space was this living room and this very tiny galley kitchen, mm. which was the only way to get to the living room. And so they rented that, that couch to me. So it's like I had to tidy up or whatever during the day and kind of work, you know, maybe at the dining room table or something so everyone else could use it as a living room. And then everyone else had to like go to bed at a certain time so I could go to bed. Wow. You know, it was like this whole thing. That was $600 a month. Wow. Wow. And that wasn't including, you know, basically $150 in commute. Mm -hmm. And I really, but like I only took the bus. I never took the train, you know, there was all of this and it seemed like the more I budgeted, the harder it was, you know? And I was very determined to stay within my budget and it was just like, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous. Um, I started working from home and, and getting more gigs as a secretary, but even that was not scalable for me because for the amount of money that I needed to make, I needed to have something like 10 clients, I needed to be multitasking every five seconds, you know, I really had to be concentrating on maybe three or four people at once, um, which is funny because that's what I do now. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but my passion wasn't there. I mean, I'd only gotten into this work because it was, a, it was work that was offered to mm -hmm. me when I was like super young, when I was 18. Um, I was 18, someone said to me, um, it, was a, it was a racially pointed 
remark. Hmm. But they thought they were being nice. And they were. They were being nice and they were being helpful. But they gave me a look or whatever and they said, you have a really nice look. You dress well. Um, and I think that has to do with being in New York and really being in the scene. And then they said, you speak really well. Where'd you learn how to speak? I get, I used to get asked that a lot, a lot um, in the office world. I, I don't know why, frankly, and I don't know why it matters. But basically what they, what, how we distinguish it in the black community is I spoke white. And even now, like this diction, I don't even know if I can get that voice back again. But I spoke that way all my life until I started traveling and then my New York accent started coming out again. <laughs> There's so much, I was like, this is relaxing. Right. I like this. Right. Um, and so, you know, then I started getting jobs in the office and I was the receptionist. Um, I think part of it had to do is because I studied acting for a really long time and you do, you do study diction and even though you don't, you don't have to learn French, you have mm -hmm. to learn how to speak it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, as well as in opera, like I don't speak all those languages, but I can sing in like four or five different languages. Oh. Um, so I guess that's where it all came from. And I was able to get what I would consider fairly high paying jobs. But this is like as a kid mm -hmm. and I'd never, because I'd never really gone to school, I never realized what my value could be. Mm -hmm. And so it never occurred to me. So as I got older, I was like, this is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Like it started to kick in eventually. This is crazy. I'm doing all this work for these people for like not enough money to even sleep on this couch. Like this is dumb. And that's when I, um, actually that's not true. I, I had one membership, like my one splurge. I didn't have a car. I needed one badly, but I didn't get a car. I got a gym membership that was about $135 a month. Wow. <laughs> wow. Here's why. <laughs> Um, I didn't use the gym as often as I should have. However, it was a great gym. Um, it was a great place because it had partially a spa of like sauna, jacuzzi mm. and all this kind of stuff. And it was a place to rest. I worked something like three or four jobs. And so I could never, I never had enough time to go home in between. But there were these gyms all over the city and I could stop at the gym for an hour and I maybe see. nap mm -hmm. or something like that. And when the weather was nice, there was a rooftop pool. So that was worth it for, for you to spend that money. The rooftop pool was created like a tropical garden. Hmm. There were lounge beds all over, you know, around the pool. I mean, now it's, it's not a surprise because that's the way they do everything. But then it was very new. Scantily clad men used to serve me on a regular basis where some of my other money went. And then <laughs> I realized I could work from there. It was free Wi-Fi. I didn't have to deal with the roommates. And then the last day of the season hit. And I realized I wasn't gonna be able to go to the pool for like four or five months. I said, I don't think I can do it. And I had an anxiety attack. And I had a girlfriend I'd spoken to a few years ago who had moved to Belize. And I thought, where is she? Hmm. I contacted her, asked her some questions, asked her how, cause I know she doesn't have any money. And I was like, how are you making money and this and this? And, she wasn't doing a lot. She was really living on very little, but she still upgraded her lifestyle mm -hmm. with the little bit that she had, and she had kids. Mm -hmm. And then after about, I don't know, two years, she started getting into the teaching game. And now she teaches, that's her, that's her life. She teaches at a school in Honduras now, 
and um, is going to start creating classes on her own because she's realizing it's not scalable for me to be somewhere. I see. It's not scalable to actually always be on hand. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not hard to travel. It depends on what you want. Like if you're settled, if you get somewhere and you're settled, that's fine. But if you're running around, you're going to take your work with you. Yeah. It just is what it is. So that's basically the aha moment I was, I can't deal with this anymore. I need palm trees all the time. I need scantily clad men to serve me all the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then you went to Belize. I went to Belize. It took me a couple more months because I really, I really was clueless. Um, I would say that was October. I left January 2nd. Not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. And you're talking to someone that had bills uh, just coming out of the woodwork and... You made it happen. I made it happen. Yes. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. a great story. It's inspiring. Um, and um, you, you touched on something earlier and it just made me think of something. What was it, what was it like growing up as a black woman in New York? And then just in general, because I, you know, people don't really talk about race that much. I, yeah, I, it's hard. It's a hard it subject. Is hard. It is a hard subject, but I think when two people could sit and talk honestly and, yeah. and openly, and hopefully some good will come out of that conversation, you know, I just would love to, if you're willing, to, to share like some of the struggles of it. Um, I mean, look, the U.S. is good in many ways, but we're still... It's weird. You know, especially this past couple of years have been <laughs> rough. I just don't understand it. I left at the right time, that's for sure. Because <laughs> it was like right before all of this yes. buildup and it started to hit. But for, for me, see, I can't, this is the hard part. I am in between. My father is a complete Panamanian from Cologne, which is an African descent. Okay. So everyone's very dark in Cologne. Each country has a color slash and or race issue. Really? There, but it's, it's not exactly like ours though. It's more of a, this is your job. It's almost like a gender. Mm -hmm. If you're this race or you're this color, then this is your life. Um, it's not horrible. It's not like you're a slave, but they you're have different- You're back into that. Yeah, this is, this is your job. That's it, this is your job. And then this is your job. And no, none of them really know that I don't know, maybe they could leave and get a scholarship and go someplace else, come to America, come to the... So it, it, it takes a little getting to know um, that you don't necessarily have a place. Um, America is like a weird place um, because I fit into no slot. So I lived with my mom who was white, but at the same time, she did not consider herself affluent in such a way in her value. And so it was weird because everyone identified me with white because my mother was white, right? And we must have money. We must be, you know, the rich white people. And so there was a lot of issue with the black community and myself because they were thinking that I was better than them. I see. That was hard. Growing up in school as a kid, going to the bathroom, like, I had to fight for everything. Because hmm. um, kids are cruel, right? Kids are cruel. Yeah. But so are the parents. I yeah. mean, these kids don't get it from nowhere. Mm -hmm. It all comes from That's the parents. Right. No, you're a good point. And even my issue, like, I went to school all the time as a victim, mm -hmm. thinking that I wasn't worth 
you know, these things all happen by accident. Mm -hmm. You learn all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the way I fought mostly was here. And, and I had this affluent side to me. That came from my dad. Um, and it was really because he was one of the best black jazz musicians in the world. And, and I'm gonna tell this story, actually. I'm gonna go ahead and tell it. Please. Um, they met at the New York Playboy Club. My mom was a server, and he was one of the, the top black musicians that Hugh Hefner hired to play that spot. He was at the height of his career. Um, he was playing with John McLaughlin, but he had just put out, I think, his, I think he had just put out his own record. Okay. Um, and he was playing at the Playboy Club, and he walked through the front door. Like, that is deep, man. Um, and he left with my mom, you know? Wow. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, that was a very affluent life then. Sure. Everything was like all about having fun and mm -hmm. money and, mm -hmm. and, and doing it right, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and so it was very difficult for me because I did not think I was less than anyone else because my father was black. It was the opposite. And so it was really, and I didn't understand why no one else felt the same way about themselves or their family. Mm -hmm. That part I didn't get. I'm mm -hmm. like, no, your family does stuff. You can do what you want. Like my father became this great musician and I have other musicians in my family and we just, we do what we want. Mm -hmm. um, growing up in New York helps. It, it depends on where you grow up in New York. But if you leave your street corner and go to another neighborhood, it's like going to another country. At least we think so. Um, now that I go to other countries, it's not, it's not like but, <laughs> At the time, at it was. The time. Sure. And so it, my motto at the time was always, you need to leave your street corner. Like my friends in the Bronx, you got to leave the street corner, buddy. You got to go. And so even like my friends in New York would kind of make fun of me. They go, she's a village girl. <laughs> because I was always like, you can do anything. You right, know, right. I was always that person. Yeah. You can be anyone. You don't have to be black or white or this. And as I got older, like... 18 on up, it was getting hard. It was getting way too hard. And then it was like being black had to be a thing. Like during the Spike Lee thing, like you had to really be black. You had to really have your black card, you know, and that kind of thing. And it was, it was hard for me to play that role. Um, but guess what? I'm not white. And that's not even an option. Mm -hmm. I cannot play that role. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when I was, I didn't realize this until way later. This was like after I started traveling. My mom used to leave me with this babysitter and she was black. And I don't know if she lived in the project, but it looked like she lived in the projects. But that could be anywhere in New York. Sure. <laughs> right. um, and she had this great kid, uh, grandson. I used to play with him and we had fun. I was young. I was three. Okay. Um, I wasn't four. I was definitely three. And my, my mom worked nights. You know, she did her thing and the babysitter was really nice to her and was grateful for, you know, leaving me there, that I'm a wonderful child and blah, blah, blah. And the moment the door shut, let's just say it was a really bad scene because I was half white and who did I think I was? It didn't come back to me. I don't know why it came back to me when it did, but it was a repressed memory. I do remember telling my mother that she was not a good babysitter for me to be with. Um, 
but that's pressure on my mom because who's, who's going to watch me? Sure. So there was this whole thing. And it's just funny because I, listen, I agree. I don't know what the deal is with not, with being afraid of other people's cultures and, and maybe turning that into hatred or turning that into a negative in, uh, ignorance. Um, and so having white people to, to just automatically think that black people have problems or this or this or this and not even think that maybe those problems stem from other cultures, sure. you know? Sure. Um, but then I have to deal with the black community that just immediately lashes out and decides this is evil work done by the white man, you know? Um, and I remember that, that babysitter and I just thought, I was three. Mm -hmm. That's a lot for a three-year-old to go hell? through. Yeah. You know? So I get it from both sides. Yeah. And I also see, I see why certain decisions are made in the web. I, I don't see why cops shoot people. Right. Um, however, we've been doing this black pedestrian white cop thing. How long now? Like, I remember Watts. Yep. So yep. there's got to be another way to go at this. Mm -hmm. Don't push your kids out there and tell them you deserve to be on the street and you can say whatever you want to a cop because it's your right. Yeah. It is your, I mean, I guess it's your right, but but be respectful. We're still playing this dance. Right. It doesn't mean be fearful. We got to find another way. Sure. We got to try something different. Yeah. Because banging your head against a brick wall doesn't get you through the brick wall. And doesn't it come down to respect, though? I mean, look, I think when, so. when, weren't we respectful of authority? Our teachers, our, yeah. our parents, our neighbors, any elder, right? Yeah. I don't see it today. My, you know, my daughter uh, is in high school now. And wow. It's uh, gone. Yeah, and, and we, we have to work extra hard to instill it in them because they see this yes. all around them. Yes. So we need to get that respect for one another back. I think it starts there. There's a humanity, there's a focus on humanity that's just missing. I don't know where it went, what's going on, but I mean, this is a whole deeper conversation. The government benefits from the divide. Yeah. I mean, even now it's like, well, it's not even about blacks and whites. It's like blacks, whites, Latinos, yeah. Confederate, yeah. Um, in between, Muslims, right, right. whoever's considered a tourist, mm -hmm. uh, a terrorist, some tourist, and then there are tourists. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I met them. <laughs> I've met those too. Um, but but like someone told me one day that. Um, that the United States doesn't have any terrorists. And I was like, what about those kids that shot everybody in their school? What are you talking about? What about that bomber guy back in, what was it, Kansas? I can't remember. But they, they took down that Oklahoma whole federal building. Yes. You know, that was Oklahoma, a while ago. Yes. Um, and he said, no, those aren't terrorists. Terrorists are when they're from another country and they come into it. And I was like, no, no they're not. Right. <laughs> They killed all those people. Yeah. <laughs> and for what? You know, and so there's a lot of reasoning things away and pointing fingers and this and this. But really, this is where the finger goes, right, right here. Who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose in life? And to achieve those concepts, you got to connect. 
Human beings are spiritual people, whether anybody likes it or not. I'm not telling people go to church, but I am saying we connect spiritually. I know what you're thinking. Someone could walk in a room and we can, we can analyze what she's about to do, what she's going to do, things she might do, because we feel a vibe. We feel a vibe. We're spiritual beings. And once that connection is cut off, then higher entities can have at us and manipulate that situation to benefit them. Yeah. No, and I think we're seeing the result of that with yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 the cell phones and yeah. all the technology and people are just disconnected in general. Yeah. Disconnected. That's yeah. why I love podcasting so much because it is a way for two individuals to connect or more. Mm -hmm. But that message goes out to the world. So there's going to be people listening to this, you know, in Belize or, right. you know, in Buffalo right. and, and, and hopefully benefit from that. You talk about making income legally yeah. while living abroad. Yeah. And um, what does that mean? That means um, you don't necessarily have to go to that country, get a visa, look for a job, that kind of thing. Or in Portugal, you can actually get a job and then get the visa after you get the job, which is kind of nice. Um, but each country is different, and you could go crazy trying to do that. And if you're trying to learn the culture and the language, it's hard. Um, not impossible, but hard. Basically, I got up, even as a secretary, no, I didn't like the job, but I am very grateful that I could pick up my laptop, get on the plane, get off the plane, and then open my laptop again and start working. I could have meetings by Skype. Now we have this great software called Zoom, yeah. which is awesome. Love it. Love it. Um, and you don't really have to miss a beat. You just have to keep an eye on the time zone, make sure you know what time it is with whoever you're talking to, and you're, and you're good. And you kind of call your own shots. Your office is wherever you want it to be. That's Isn't that like, a great feeling? Oh, oh my goodness. It's absolutely amazing. I just, where was I? I well, I, Greenwich. I worked out of Greenwich today. I had my Wi-Fi. I said, you know what, it's time to check up on students and see if they're doing all right. Does anybody need any comments? Do I have emails to check? You put out a post, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sitting there listening to opera, listening to the jazz band on the other side, watching this baby, like over my phone, there's this little baby, like skating across. She's so tiny. She had little tiny boots on, <laughs> little English boots, you know. Um, and that's my life. Those are things that make me happy. And I realized it's time to start surrounding myself, not with posters. Every time I saw those posters, I wanted to rip them down. I was like, what is that? That's ridiculous. I surround myself with the things that make me happy within the environment that I live in. And that makes work really nice, even if it's the worst work ever. You at least have that. And it's enough to get you through until you decide to up your game. And you are living proof that you could do this, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, I don't know if you set out to do a podcast. How did that all come to be? When I started traveling, actually, I only decided to travel for the winter. Okay. And I was going to come back and, and just start fresh, find a new apartment, you know, that kind of thing, get on Craigslist from Belize and do it from there. And then I, I realized I started doing meetings. They weren't the best you know, meetings, because Belize then, their internet wasn't the greatest, but we had them. We had audio meetings instead of video meetings. We did fine. I got through it, my boss was okay, and I think only a couple weeks went by and I was like, 
I'm not coming back. Why would anyone leave? This is insane. And at the time, I kind of thought I was the only one doing this. Then I started meeting other people. Like, I was thinking, there are a lot of people who are retired right. or Canadian. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you, know, you don't really see Americans doing stuff like this. Then little by little, as I traveled, I was tapping into other expat communities. Like, I didn't realize Facebook had an expat community for almost every country. Maybe back then they didn't. I and don't know. Please tell what expat means. Expat. Okay. So it is, it's expat is short for expatriate. Um, but you're not doing a bad thing. In the, in the olden days, especially for the English, right. you know, expatriates, <laughs> sure. that, that wouldn't go over very yeah. well. But it just means that you live in another country. Mm -hmm. You're from one country and you live in another country. And until you become a citizen of that country, you would be considered an American expat. Um, Brian Rose, who we all know and love, is actually an English citizen. He is an English man proper, but he's from California, mm -hmm. but he's no longer considered an expatriate of America. I see, because he got his citizenship here right. in England. Right, okay. he could be a dual citizen. Sure. You know, that I'm sure yeah, he is. Yeah, sure he is, <laughs> right, right. And that's what I'm going for, dual yeah. citizenship. I'd like to be a Portuguese citizen, which of course I love the country. Um, it's, it's lovely. It's a mix of all the things that I like. <laughs> um, and, Including? Uh, Including, including, oh, wine. The wine. wine. Okay, what else? Wine. Tell us more. The wine, the bread. The bread. I don't really oh. eat the bread, however. Do you put olive oil on it? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about how the olive oil is in Portugal. Okay. It's all local olives, so they have two vineyards. You either have an olive vineyard or you have a wine vineyard. Wow. The wine is the best I ever tasted. I'm sorry, France. What about Italy? I'm not going to talk about Italy. Okay. I'm going to leave Italy out of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leave Italy out of it. I uh, tell you now, the idea of going back to America and drinking wine in America is something that does not, I'm so sorry. I mean, people, even people in Portugal go, because they have very stars in their eyes about yeah. America. Everyone is, sure. first of all. Wherever When you, go, you travel you as an American, yeah. you're a superstar. Just, I mean, mm. that's it. Um, and they were like, what about the Napa Valley? And I was like, girl, Can please. Cannot hold a candle. Girl, please. <laughs> I used to think Oregon wine was pretty good. I, so far, there's nothing I've had in America that lights a candle to Portugal. I'm kidding. It's incredible. Oh, I'm going to have to try it now. And it's ridiculously inexpensive. Wow. It is an average, like, table, table wine, let's say. You go to a party with someone you don't know or something like that. It is... A dollar fifty. Lie to you not. I thought I thought I was gonna get caught at the um, cashiers. I thought they were gonna made, they give a, a different mistake. number or right. something like that. And um, no. Um, and of course the beaches are lovely. It's the Mediterranean, absolutely lovely. Most of the mountain formations are created in marble. Mm. Marble is like the standard stone. So when you rent an apartment, oh. you know how. They might have like the fake granite or whatever, right. you know, for the sink. It's straight marble. Because it's from yes. the... Yes. It's just, they area. have it all right, over. Right. Salt, fish, wow. um, you know that healthy salt? It's not Himalayan, yes. but they have their own salt. Sea salt. Yes. That they actually, they have salt mines. mines. My mm. mother used to always say like, you look like you came out of the salt mines. And I never knew what she was talking about <laughs> until I got here. And I was like... You mean you guys really have a, she says, yeah, it's a real job. I go, okay, you know. I learn a lot. I learn a lot. 
So the food is, is, is wonderful? The food is amazing. Um, there are vegetarians there. There's like a new uh, renaissance of vegetarians uh, in, in Portugal. There's a lot of healthy eating in Portugal, actually. Um, but then there is the Mediterranean diet, which is pork, pork, and more pork. Really? And uh, they do their pork very well. Mm. And they have chicken. They do a good chicken, like peri-peri. They do a good chicken. Um, but that's more Brazilian, you know, that's more of a Brazilian thing. The thing they do the best, and I, I exclude Belize when I say this, the thing they do the best is fish. Okay. The fish is incredible. Wow. And you're always by the water, always. And so most likely the restaurant that you're at is waterside. They probably have just caught the fish a few minutes ago. Mm. Like they just incredible. pull it out. And they put it on a grill next to your mm. table. Doesn't get any better than that. And it's a full fish, and then you just kind of slice it open, and then you, it, there's a Sounds way you wonderful. gotta eat it. It's like a whole thing. That's another class. <laughs> so one of my mentors, I believe I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, uh, James Bonnet, he's giving a speech in Portugal. Yes, and, um, and I can't remember the, the, the name of the city. Cascais. Cascais, yeah. thank you. And uh, it looks beautiful. I want to go. I want to go to Portugal now. It's it's stunning. So guess where I have to hustle to? Where? For me. Where? After this, I'm hustling and hustling all over the place. I cannot make the. Um, we have that day that day walk tour, in London. Yes, yes. I can't do it because I have to hop the plane to do a house sit in Cascais on the beach. Poor you. Poor right. you. The schedule is just. Well, you better send us pictures at least. <laughs> Any setbacks in your journey? Has there, has there been, <laughs> I mean, has this been a, learn, I mean, everything sounds so great, it, right? I know, I, I know. It's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's not always a vacation. I think what's nice is that you have the option to vacation. Mm -hmm. You can just kind of, especially when you bring your work with you mm -hmm. and you create your own business and you do that, you honestly can make a decision and go, I'm turning everything off today. I'm leaving everything here today and I'm going to Qashqai's or mm -hmm. I'm going to Algarve. Um, or being in Europe, or I'm flying to Paris today, you know, because the plane, the plane fares are so cheap. Right. They're like a cab ride. Um, so, yes, there are those options, but then you're on a learning curve. Mm -hmm. You walked into somebody else's country, um, you're following someone else's rules that are not, it's not that they're not written out, but you don't know what they are yet, you don't know where they're at. Um, and so, in some countries you tread lightly, in some countries you just, wait there's a lot of waiting mm -hmm. right. <laughs> there's a lot of like when you have a set list of errands to do you know you'll get that much done today you better plan for it you right? know and yeah. then it, you know this it might take a week but this it, but then you learn you learn learning is hard mm -hmm. learning is hard and uh you know border stuff is is touchy and it depends on what area of the world you are from um any of the americas besides the united states of america fairly easy borders. Um, the U.S. border is hard, and the U.S. border is hard for me, mm -hmm. specifically because I am black and because I am Latino. Mm -hmm. It just depends on which airport. So I have to literally factor in which race are they going to go after no kidding. when I get to the airport. Mm -hmm. What do I think they're going to ask me? That kind of thing. Like if I come into my, through Miami mm -hmm. or through Florida in general, I'm seen as a carrier mule, immediate. Mm -hmm and I could be giving on, depending on what I'm carrying. Like, I don't know, I don't know what these people carry. Right. But I've been pulled over for that. Hmm. Um, that's all US stuff. And mm -hmm. then just coming with like one small bag. If I just have a backpack, mm -hmm. I get stopped and right. asked, 
where's your luggage? Mm -hmm. This is my luggage. Mm -hmm. I don't need stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for Americans to understand. We don't need stuff. Right. What does that mean? Because that's all we do is buy stuff. Right. Right. We just buy stuff. Overabundance. So it doesn't make sense. When they see, like when they open, maybe if I had said, if it said Columbia, Mm -hmm. they would understand the backpack. Mm -hmm. But because it says America. So there's those stereotypes. It's like a whole, it's it's always, that's Mm -hmm. always in my mind, like, working the stereotypes Mm -hmm. but there are positives to the stereotypes as well so i always try to turn it around you know that kind of a thing and uh and use it but the last time i was in london i got arrested at the gate um and i was held for 12 10 10 hours arrested i was arrested for um um for not answering the questions properly at immigration very new to me super new wow um and so when they answered they're they're their question asking is really, um, it could be harsh. Hmm. At that time, it was harsh. Mm-hmm. This time it wasn't as harsh as it was before, but she still was pretty, hmm. but she only asked me three questions because I'd been practicing the answers. I knew what they were gonna ask me. I took dubious notes for the whole 10 hours. Um, but this was, this was two weeks after the president was elected. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, pissing everybody mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. So it was to be expected. I'd gone through 14 countries without really a hitch. So it was also to be expected that I was going to have a learning experience at a border at some point. And this is a very powerful country. I hadn't been to a powerful country before besides my own. I see. Um, I do think Americans carry a heavy ego that, they, that they're just born with and don't realize what that means. <laughs> or appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate what we have. Appreciate what yes. we have. Um, and so there is this concept with American travelers and maybe can, Canadians have more experience of traveling than we do. That's the big thing. Everyone has more experience of traveling than we do. Yeah. Um, and so we just think we can go everywhere. Mm-hmm. We almost think we own everything. Mm-hmm. Like I've gone and thought, that's not, I thought that was like ours. Or right. just the idea I'm, that you have to have a passport. Like right. that wasn't always a thing Like yeah. what happened to that, you know? So, but now everything is like severely locked down and, and for good reason. I totally understand. It all makes sense, but it, 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 was a, it was a crazy learning experience. It was, the entire trip in London was so hard. Um, it was unbelievably hard because I treated it like it was gonna be another third world country where I'd just figure it out. I haven't been back to New York, I don't know how long. So I, I'd lost all those skills, sure, you know sure. what I mean? I'd lost it, I was able to pick up on the subway, that was okay. <laughs> but um, I was sick right away, like right after they let me out, I immediately caught the flu. No kidding. <laughs> but you're talking to somebody that's in like 100 to 105 degree weather, mm-hmm. Caribbean breezes for four years, right. you know, it was like, yeah. Uh, so uh, would love to know quickly yeah. how you were introduced to Brian Rose in London Real. And if you can, in just like a minute, because you have like three minutes before your call. Three minutes before my call. Um, Brian Rose, when I first started traveling, um, I did Belize. Then I packed up, I went home, packed up all my stuff and was like, done, sold, whatever. I go back and I start interviewing people, but I'm not podcasting. I'm just meeting with other expats. For yourself? For myself. Because I was like, why did you leave America? Because everyone's wondering why I left. And I was like, life sucks there. And life sucks for you too. And I don't know what this conversation is about, but I'm leaving, stay if you want. 
it was always that kind of thing. But in the back of my mind, I was like, why am I leaving? Like, what am I doing the right thing? Like, I love this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But what is this? What is this about? And why aren't more people doing it? I don't get it. Like, this is a no-brainer. I don't get it. So I started meeting other Americans and asking them, why did you leave? When did you leave? When was your aha moment? Little by little. And I was afraid of video back then. I don't know why people are afraid to right. do video. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't sure. understand it. Um, but I was real afraid to do something. And it never occurred to me to do anything like that ever. Mm -hmm. um, I got a nine-month house sit in Mexico. And so I took it to give myself some time to think, lower my expenses so I'm not, like, freaking out, but still enjoying this upgraded lifestyle. I mean, I went from a couch to a two-bedroom cottage you know, in six hours from America, so I could still get stuff that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think I was living on like $300 a month. Wow. Total. Cool. I was going out. I was like, it was a hole. So it gave me some time to understand what value means mm -hmm. and what life quality means. And expats typically will tell you their story. So it, it, it was starting to get to be a thing for me to be like, what did you do? How did you do it? What did you do? And it was research for me to be like, maybe I need to check out other countries. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to go. And then I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was still in that old mindset from long ago about value and drama, random drama, caring about things. But because I physically removed myself from a lot of dramatic things that I had going on in my life, I was able to kind of see it from the outside, but still, if you don't know, if you remove yourself, but then don't know where to go exactly, it's like, well, what do I replace it with? Mm -hmm. I don't want to replace it with the same thing. And the whole thing about working, making more money, having life be more scalable, that's when I started thinking, I need a new mindset. What do billionaires do? What do they think about every day? Like, there are people who didn't have money and then became billionaires. How does that happen? They've changed their mindset somehow. Mm -hmm. I followed a lot of links and found, actually, I did not find him right away. I found, uh, his name is John. I forget his last name, but he has this company called Wealth Dragons and he's a billionaire. I Googled billionaires or how billionaires think, something like that. Mm -hmm. And up pops London Real and this guy, John. So I said, well, let's watch it. And I kind of, I picked up on Brian's mindset and I felt like we had a similar kind of boggled mindset, mm -hmm. but we wanted more. Mm -hmm. And then, I see, two more minutes. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I said, I'm gonna watch and see, because I could tell that Brian was trying to learn from that guy yes. how to change his mindset. Wait, there's something going on here. That's how you felt. And that's how I felt. And I was like, well, maybe I could kind of follow this guy, Brian, and see what kind of journey he takes, because maybe I can use some of the tools that he's trying to change his mindset with and do it the same. And then I started watching these interviews. The guy who makes the Porsches, I, could, I don't remember his name from California. He just did a second interview with Brian. So I started watching that guy. Another guy, Rags to Riches, Dan Pena. Not Rags, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, he lived in East L.A. Mm -hmm. That's kind of raggedy. Right. <laughs> um, right. And now he's this millionaire. 
And then I just started watching, then I was like, mindset stuff. And I started watching, you know, I started watching other YouTube, other YouTubers, but there was Dave Asbury. Yes. And the diet. Yes. And diet does change your DNA. Yes. And does change your mindset and the productivity of your brain, which was now, now I was getting questions answered. Now stuff, and I said, this is the hole I want to go down. This is the rabbit hole. We're going to do this. And Brian has never really let me down in this regard. Um, he always has a new person that's really interesting. And the core focus of these interviews are, how did you change your life? How did you get this mindset? And I want to be, maybe not exactly where that person is, but I want to have my mind at that level in my space. That kind of thing. And so I never let go. I was just like, that value is still there. No matter what happens, that value is still there. And that's worth a deal of money. Well, Lisa, this has been remarkable. I wish we could continue. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much. You're welcome. For being part of our show. <laughs>